Welcome to the Women's Bible Study Podcast, a ministry of Sheridan House. We continue today in the series, God's Masterpiece, a study of women in the Bible. If you've missed any part of this series, you can find it and many others online at SheridanHouse.org. We hope you enjoy today's lesson. We are on lesson four already, if you can believe it. And um, we're going to be talking today about when things are going well and then. Have you ever had that in your life? No, none of us have ever had that, have we? And so we're going to be talking about that today. We're going to be in the second chapter of finishing up in the second chapter of Esther and into the third chapter. So if you have a Bible with you or your Bible app or your phone or however you follow, um, if you'll find that, and we're going to get into it in just a minute. But we begin with that. When calamity strikes, then what? When calamity strikes, then what? We, Bob and I were having dinner with a young couple several months ago. And we were sitting at the table and they were saying, you know, everything is just so wonderful in our lives <laughs> and you know we're both working jobs that we love families are getting along and you know and they're going on and on and they said you know it's just life is wonderful right now and they said they began by after they're talking about how wonderful their life was they said we want to ask you something. We want to ask you a question that, that is asked often in this world, and that is, why is there so much pain in the world? We don't understand that. Why is, you know, when things seem to be going well for us, why is it that there is so much pain, and does that mean that the shoe is going to drop in our life? And so we began talking about that, and we talked about when sin entered the world. And, you know, we tend to like to blame Adam and Eve. What were they thinking to open the door here? But don't you know that all of us, we all have free wills, don't we? And if it wasn't Adam and Eve, it would have been me or it would have been you, right? Somebody along history would have made the mistake of uh, going against God's plan. And so as sin entered into the world, <clears throat> excuse me, so did trials and difficulties and we're talking to this young couple about that and it's not just the you know we talk about oh childbirth for women and you know husbands having to figure out how to provide for their families and all that kind of thing it's so much more it's struggling to uh in pain and illness and in natural disasters broken relationships all are symptoms of cons of consequences of breaking god's perfect communication that we had with our loving Heavenly Father. We broke the communication. We allowed sin to enter into the world and thereby all the natural disasters and all the things that we've experienced, including, oh, coronavirus, for goodness sake. You know, I'm, you know how much I love North Carolina and I just love sitting up there and looking at the mountains and hearing the rustling of the leaves and hearing the little um, birdies chirping and seeing little um, squirrels and chipmunks, you know, hopping across things. And I'm just like, oh, you know, nature is so wonderful. How could, how could there be nature that's going to be even better than this? And guess what? There is. Because what we love now 
is the distorted, sin-filled version of even nature. And so we have that joy of looking forward to someday when everything is righted again, that sinful man brought on. Uh, and we're going to get to see that someday wonderfully. Now, this young couple said they were so fortunate that so far life had left them unscathed, but we encouraged them to be spiritually prepared for when trial was going to come, because guess what? It is going to come in all of our lives, looking in different ways, and we have to be spiritually prepared for that to happen. This is not heaven, and we must strive to learn to discover God's divine plan for our lives rather than spending all of our energy and all of our thought process trying to figure how to make this whole situation become more heaven-like. Heaven is later. What we need to do is allow God to prepare us spiritually to deal with the unheavenliness of our lives. As we were talking to this couple early in the year, March happened. The pandemic happened. And I remember thinking back with a lot of other things because we didn't go a whole lot of places in March, did we? We kind of sat quietly. And I remember thinking back and I thought, you know, I, I haven't even communicated with this young couple, but I just wonder how all of this has affected their unscathed life. All of us have problems. All of us has prob have problems. Has there ever been a time when we have more needed a lesson like this? When we can see God's hand. I love God's timing. And you've heard me say this multiple times in the spring when we talk about what we're going to be studying the next fall. And, you know, I spend way too much time. Bob just laughs because I'm, you know, I need about three more confirmations before we go with that. And, you know, I'm just so careful. And, you know, here's why I'm so careful. Because we have so often seen, not so often, every time seen God's hand and putting together what we're going to be studying that it is so apropos to where we are. And so the same with today's lesson, as we are struggling with how to deal with all the things that are in our lives as a result of what's happening in our country today, what's happening in our physical lives, and on and on and it goes, we're going to see how this affects Esther, her story, and the people around her. A on your outline, things seem to be going so smoothly. And as we pick up the story in chapter 2, 18 through 20, we read it last week, but just to kind of get us back to where we are in the story, look with me to verse 18. Then the king gave a great feast, remember this? For all the officials and servants, it was Esther's feast. He also granted a remission of taxes to the province and gave gifts with royal generosity. And when the virgins were gathered together the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Esther had not made known to her kindred or her people as Mordecai had commanded her. For Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she had been brought up by him. And we talked about that a little bit last week, that here she was, the queen of the most powerful empire at that time, and yet she still remained obedient to her surrogate dad. 
And so we see, again, it's just showing, again, her, her level of character and who she was as a person. And we love the seemingly fa fairy tale ending to the story. It seems like, oh, wow, this is really great. The sweet girl won. The godly girl won. And she's going to be affecting the harem. She's going to be affecting the king and, and all the officials. And wow, this seems like a wonderful, happy ending to the movie. And then, boom. The bomb drops, and that's exactly where we're going to be looking today. One of the things about the COVID that has been so hard for us here in Broward County, and, and we've heard it so many times, I just didn't expect it to be so bad. I didn't expect that we'd still be wearing masks at this stage. I, I didn't expect that, you know, the hospitals were still going to be full, and all the things that we hear out there, we just didn't expect, we weren't prepared for it to be of such magnitude. And in the same way, we must be prepared for the difficulties in life. We need to realize that until we get to heaven, things are going to be difficult. We're gonna have trials. We're gonna have things that we have to deal with. And that is one of the great lessons of this story because they will happen whether we're spiritually prepared or not. So our call is, are we ready? Are we ready spiritually to go into this? Hurricanes will come uh, and strike. We will, illnesses will come. We will witness unprecedented anger around us, all these things. But how we will choose to deal with it, the reality will determine whether we will build character or whether it rocks our spiritual world. Let me say that again how we choose to deal with the things that are inevitably going to happen in our lives, the reality will determine whether we will build character or whether it will rock our spiritual lives. I don't know about you, but I want to build character, don't you? I don't want my spiritual world to be rocked. I, don't, I, I want to go into some of the trials and the difficulties that we're going to face, and I want to be a better me <laughs> as a result of it. I don't want my spirit, I don't want to say, where are you, God, and, and all those kinds of things. I want to be stronger having gone through these things. Warren Wiersbe uh, says, and it's in your book, I love this quote, an old enemy with a new name. He was talking about as the bomb falls in the story of Esther, we have the same enemy used using somebody with a different name in this story, but still the same enemy, just like our lives. You know, how many thousands of years later, who is the enemy that we're dealing with in our lives? Absolutely the same one, same enemy with a new name. Look at verse 21. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Brigtham and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. Now notice the words, it begins with, in those days. That's a transitional phrase. It's a phrase that seems to say, okay, wake up, something important is about to happen here. Hello, are you reading? Kind of an idea, getting our attention. And it was indeed, here were all these banquets happening and the king's being generous with all the people in the land and all these happy things are happening and they were all rejoicing, but... A crisis is about to hit. We see it in the second part of verse 21 in chapter 2. Two of the king's men were plotting to kill the king. And here we see the providential, remember pro-video, what that means in the original language? The pro-video, the providential 
knowledge of God as one of our heroes comes to the forefront. Look at verses 22 through 23. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther, and Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. And when the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on gallows. This is key right here. And it was recorded in the book of Chronicles in the presence of the king. It was recorded in the book of Chronicles. We're going to see that in a few weeks of how important that is. Especially, we want to tune in because it's recorded. Something, why did God and his providence have it recorded? We need to remember um, that and you know, put that on the back burner so we don't forget it because it will have a significance. The king was saved, it was recorded, and now back to business as usual, moving on to the cares of today in the court. However, we will see, be on your outline, but God, but God, God never forgets. We will see not only does God remember, he uses it in his divine providence his divine design later on and his perfect timing. And it's such an important lesson for us here because number one, sometimes, have you ever felt this way? We feel like no one notices our efforts. Have you ever felt that way? Yes, I think every one of us does. But here's the good news. You don't need to look it up, but write it down. One of my favorite verses in all of scripture, Hebrews 6, 10. For God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you have showed for his sake in serving the saints as you still do. I'll, I'll never forget what brought that verse to my, um, to the forefront of my heart and eyes, eyes and heart, I should say probably, right? But it was a time when Tori was either a junior or senior in high school and she had been very busily working on a project at school and one day she came back just from school, just devastated. She said, Mom, I just can't believe it. She said, I have been working hours and my brain's out over this project. And we finally got to it. And nobody knew that I had helped. Nobody said, thank you. And she said, in fact, one of the other girls in my class is the one that got all the you know, accolades and, and thank you for all the effort. And she said, she didn't even work, I'm, I'm just saying this to you, but she didn't work even one half of the hours I worked on it and nobody noticed. And it was then that the Lord brought that verse to my attention. We might feel like nobody's noticing what we're doing, but God does every single thing we do, every effort we make, he is aware of, and he is keeping record of it. He is not overlooking our work, that verse says. Have you ever done this? Like, um, you know, you've, you've prepared a real special meal for your family, and you spent hours in the kitchen, and it's something new and different and so tasty, and everybody comes roaring in from school or work or whatever it is, and they all sit down, and blah, 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 eating, talking, eating, talking, and they get up from the table, and nobody said, wow, mom, that was just a wonderful meal. Is that a new recipe? Have you ever been there before? Yeah? Or how about at work? When you have worked so hard at a project and somebody else, like Tori that day, got all the credit. Or how about at church? When your efforts go totally unnoticed while somebody else is heralded as such a worker for the Lord. Have you ever had that happen? All of us have experienced that in some degree or in some scenario or other, haven't we? 
How about this one? Perhaps the hardest of all. God, haven't you seen me in this circumstance that I'm in? Don't you understand? <laughs> I, I have been praying, praying, praying about this, and I feel like the windows of heaven are closed and you're not aware of what I'm struggling with. I've been praying about it. I'm weary of trying to do the right thing in this situation. Here's the hope. Here's the hope. Two on your outline. The hope is that God will work in his perfect timing. Let me say that again. The hope is that God will work in his perfect timing. He does see me. That verse says that. And he will begin to work in his perfect time and in his perfect way. He'll begin to orchestrate and put all the, the puzzle pieces together in that situation. And it's going to come together because God does see. One of his wonderful names in Hebrew in the Old Testament is the name Je Jehovah El Royai. You know what that means? The God who sees. God who sees. El Royai. And so next time you're feeling like, Lord, are you seeing what I'm dealing with? Are you, are you aware of the pain and the situation? Yes, he does. You know where that first um, came to play in the Old Testament? It was when um, Hagar was sent out of the presence of Abraham by Sarah. And she was in the desert with a small child. And that is the first time that that name of God appears. God sees. God sees. God sees the difficulty that you're going through. God sees the trauma in your life. God sees the fear of the illness that you might have. Whatever it is, God sees. And we need to, to be encouraged by that. Now, it may not have been recorded what Mordecai did, um, and it, it may have been forgotten in the Persians, Persians' mind that Mordecai had saved the king's life. However, it was in God's book. It was in God's book. Mordecai and his righteous works were not forgotten by God, and the wheels of God's providence, pro video, were already turning, and that is our hope as we go through our difficulties here. The question is, are we able and willing to trust that? Are we able and willing to trust that God is aware, that it is recorded in God's book, so to speak, that he sees? Do we trust that? Do we trust that as we go through our plans? So back to the story. A diabolical plan. Look with me to chapter 3, verse 1. We go leave that section about Mordecai saving his life, and then we go into the very first verse of the next chapter, and here's what it says. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. After those things, again, a transitional phrase, uh, uh, hey, let's pay attention here, something's happening. What happened? Oh, Haman was honored. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Isn't that the wrong man? Didn't we just read that Mordecai had saved the king's life? And it doesn't say anything about the king saying, hey, thanks, Mordecai, good job, thank you for saving my life and um, bringing it to my attention through Esther. And you know, uh, No, Haman. What did Haman have to do with it? 
what happened? We don't know, you know, and we can, when we get to heaven and we, we're sitting there talking to Esther, what a day that will be, right? Wow, Esther, wow, you are as beautiful as I thought, but look at me, I'm, I'm in a perfect body and everything too now. So you have nothing on me, right? Yeah, we're going to all be perfect. We're going to all be 33 years old. I already am, but you know, whatever. Um, but anyway, what happened in those, between those two chapters? What happened that Haman was the one that was uh, honored and given the highest throne and all those kinds of things? We don't know. But men might make mistakes, but we will see that God does not. Men might make mistakes and honor the wrong person, but God does not. A, what is the history? Number one, who was Haman? Notice that it says he was the son of Hamadatha the Agagite. Now, Agag was the name given to kings of Amalek, uh, uh, all the kings of Amalek, just like all the kings in Egypt were called pharaohs. So Haman was a royal Amalekite. He was a king's son. He was a king's son. Now, number two on your outline, who were the Amalekites? Now, this is going to seem like a history lesson, but bear with me because it sheds a lot of light on what we're going to see in the next few chapters. We will see what contributed to his incredible anti-Semiticism, and we're going to see that we're going to see over and over again in this story. Genesis 7 is the first mention of the land of Amalekites, in uh, Palestine. Exodus 17, right after the children of Israel left Egypt, uh, it talks about this enemy of Israel. It's the first encounter, other than the Egyptians that they had to deal with in Egypt, the first out there enemy was the Amalekites. There was a history of bad blood between Israel and the Amalekites. They had remained a thorn in the side of Israel ever since that time. Over and over again, they would meet up with the Amalekites. So we see them popping up throughout the Old Testament, plaguing the Jews. So historically, they had been mortal enemies of the Israelites. Now, a key to what we're talking about right here is in 1 Samuel chapter 15, where God instructs through Samuel... King Saul to strike the Amalekites and utterly destroy them and their goods because they were so evil. Now, um, that just sounds harsh and hard, but apparently there was really, it was difficult to find any Amalekite that had any kind of graciousness or honor or anything about them. They were a completely, totally wicked uh, group of people. And King Saul uh, had a tremendous victory, but he took things in his own hands, and guess what he did? He spared the king and probably the royal family. Had Saul followed God's mandate explicitly, Haman would not have been alive. And none of this story that we're going to be studying in the next few weeks would have happened had Saul been obedient. God knew what he was doing. God said, do this. And Saul said, yeah, I like part of the idea, but I kind of think I'm going to do my own thing. Do we ever do that? Uh -huh. Nah. No, definitely not. 
Saul's disobedience caused the extermination plot to be possible and exposed the chosen nation of God, Israel, to destruction, exposed them to destruction. So B, what do we learn? What can we learn? Number one, disobediences cause, disobedience causes repercussions. God has reasons for his instructions. As we um, have talked, he sees the beginning and the end. He's, he has providence, pro-video. He knows what is going to happen. He knows the heart of man. He knows who, is, who loves him. He knows who may look good on the outside, but has got destructive purposes on the inside. God knows. We can only see the immediate and often that might be clouded by the pain of circumstances. There might be something happening in your life that kind of clouds what's happening, but God sees it all, doesn't he? He sees it all. He is the God who sees, Jehovah El Royai. Um, isn't that the height of arrogance and pride to think sometimes, like Saul did, that we know better than God? Okay, Lord, I feel like you're leading me to do this or all that, but... I don't know if that's such a great idea. You know, maybe, I don't know, what about, could we try this or whatever? God knew in his foreknowledge, providence, what would happen if the Amalekites were left unchecked. He had not, he, uh, he had, had he not stepped in to this situation, the entire Jewish nation scattered throughout the Persian Empire would have been annihilated. Let me say that again. Had God not stepped in with his plan to go operational through Esther and Mordecai, the entire nation of Israel, God's chosen people, would have been annihilated. Wow. Number two, unchecked sin can grow. Unchecked sin can grow. And this is a long passage, so bear with me. But we're going to read on into the story. Verses 2 through 9. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Mordecai. Oh, no, Haman. For the king had so commanded concerning him, but Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? And when they spoke to him day after day, and he would not listen to them, they told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. Now, what was he saying as he was telling them that he was a Jew? He was saying, I do not bow, I do not worship, I do not elevate anybody but Jehovah God. Do you remember Daniel? Do you remember... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what did they do? We will not bow down. And what happened to them? Lion's den. Similar situation. Mordecai said, I will not bow and worship any human. I worship only Jehovah God. And so as these servants of the king were asking, why, why, what's going on? He'd say, I'm, a, I'm Jewish. And so that got back to Haman. Verse 6, and when Haman saw uh, that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury. Uh, the New, new uh, Living Translation, verse 6, says this, He had learned of Mordecai 
and that he um, looked at him to destroy him because he wanted to destroy all the Jews through the kingdom. Verse 7, in the first month, which was the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast pur, that is, they cast lots, before Haman day after day, and they, they cast it month after month till the twelfth month, which was the day of Adar. Now, what was going on here was basically they were casting lots to determine when would be the best time to take action against the Jewish people. Verse 8, then Haman said to the king Ahasuerus, there are certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people. And they do not keep the king's laws, like bow down to a human and worship a human. And they do not keep the, uh, the king's laws so that it is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. If it pleases the king... Let it be decreed that they will be destroyed, all of them. And then it's, he says, oh, and by the way, happy news, I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business that they may put it in the king's treasuries. Wow. Let's take care of these people that don't lift the laws like we do. And then, oh, by the way, as we collect the spoils, we'll put it in your treasury. Wow, hmm, that's interesting. Haman's hate grew to such an extent that it infected his whole life. We're going to see how evil and self-serving he was in the next weeks. What a lesson that when we begin to notice attitudes or anger creeping up in our lives when hurtful situations like we have we we all have in our lives when when they begin to happen it is natural for us to allow that anger to creep into our lives but we need to immediately check them confess them so they don't fester and become a cancer we need to be careful. We need to learn from this story. Needing to forgive is an exercise we need to do every day from small irritations. Do you have any of those in your lives? Yeah, to major damaging hurts. Whether the forgiveness is for small or deep hurts or both, the principles are the same because, number three on your outline, this is so important, unforgiveness is unhealthy. Unforgiveness is unhealthy. A lack of forgiveness does several things. Um, as justified as we might feel in our actions when we have been wounded and hurt and, and betrayed and uh, whatever other word you want to put in there, it is, we feel kind of like, you know, I deserve to be angry. Look what they did. And we feel kind of justified in feeling those things, but it is very unhealthy. Why? Number A, it will grow. It will grow. If not dealt with immediately, it festers and grows into a cancer just like Haman's did. We, we witness this happening in Haman's life. Bitterness can open the door to all kinds of sin. I remember when my children were very little and um, they started a little flower bed in the yard. And unfortunately, they loved looking at the little flowers popping up and all that, but they weren't as good at weeding the flower bed. I think they got that from their mother. 
you should see my flower bed. Oh my goodness sake, it's terrible. But anyway, um, and so what happened was, what do you think? The weeds choked the beautiful flowers. That's exactly what happens in our lives. Bitterness can totally take over the attitudes. And you've seen people like that. One anger has po poisoned them into bitter old ladies or men. Do you know people like that? Yes. There's a story, a true story about two old women that lived, um, I, I don't know, I'm not sure where, what country, but they lived in a different country. And they um, had a difference of opinion on theology, sisters. And um, so they became so angry with each other that they divided the, their apartment in half. One sister lived on one half, and the other sister, not you two, please. <laughs> Mary and Karen, please, never, no. One sister on one half, one on the other, they never spoke to one another again. And guess what? They claim to be Christians. True story. Isn't that sad? What a heartbreak that a lack of forgiveness would tear a family apart. But we've seen that happen over and over again, haven't we? B, it breaks down relationship with, first of all, with others. Not only with, with person or uh, where people that you've had the grudge, but it can affect the, that anger and bitterness can come out on other people as well through negativism, cynicalism. Oh, yeah, I really, yeah, sure, she really means that. And there's a cynicalness sometimes that can appear in your heart because you have not dealt with that unforgiveness in your heart. So it affects your relationships with others, but more importantly, with God, with God. This verse is a scary verse, but in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, it says, for if you do not forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father, will, or if you forgive their trespasses, your heavenly father will forgive yours. But if you do not forgive the trespasses, neither will your father forgive yours. Basically, what it is saying is, I have got so much <laughs> that I need God to forgive me for how can I not for one second have a forgiving attitude towards somebody or people who have hurt me? It affects my relationship with my Heavenly Father. Unforgiveness clogs the conduit between God and me. When I'm not forgiving somebody that's hurt me, I can't go in prayer and say, oh God, please forgive me for that bad attitude I had yesterday or that thing I said to so-and-so. My conduit is clogged because I haven't forgiven the sins that were done toward me. There's a great quote, and I, can't remember, I don't know who said it, but it says, forgiveness is letting the captive free and finding the captive is me. Isn't that good? Let me say that again. Forgiveness is letting the captive free and finding the captive is me. Wow. Unforgiveness can cause a uh, conflict with our Heavenly Father. Also, see, it stunts my growth. It stunts my growth. That's not a bad thought right now during COVID curves. But um, I'm not talking about those kind of growth. Anyway, spiritually and in every relationship, carrying a grudge will keep me from moving on and learning the next lessons that God has for me in the maturing process. In relationships, what it does is it cleans the slate so we can move on to deeper levels with the person that has wounded us. That all sounds good, but can I do it? 
is it possible? How do I get past the deep hurt and the wrong? Is it possible? Well, the very first thing that we need to look at, number four, forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness is a choice. I have to decide by an act of my will to choose to forgive. It's allowing God to do the work and the healing of the pain. And uh, in some cases, it takes almost every single day. When you've been wounded deeply, sometimes you have to, during your devotions, saying, Lord, I, I choose to forgive. Help give me the power to forgive. Give, let the feelings follow, Lord. But um, I, I need to do this again. I know I did it yesterday. I need to do it again. Sometimes it's every minute. Every time that hurt or that woundedness comes to mind of having to say, I'm choosing, Lord, to forgive. I'm choosing to forgive. Because guess what? I don't want to grow up to be a Haman. I don't want to be infected by my lack of forgiveness. I don't want to be infected by a hate that develops because I have chosen not to be forgiven. I think sometimes we underestimate what we are capable of if we leave sin unchecked in our lives. Bitterness, no matter how justified we think it is, is sin. Let me say that again. Bitterness, no matter how justified we think it is, is sin. And I want to deal with each hurt and irritation in my relationships so that they don't fester and grow into the magnitude of what happened in Haman's life. There's a great book out on this issue that was written years ago. It's called Forgive and Love Again by John Nieder. Excellent, excellent book on this whole process of how, okay, I have this person that has wounded me and I know I need to forgive and I'm trying to process it. And uh, it just is a very practical, profound book on dealing with forgiveness. Moving on, lessons learned from three men. Let's let the, the story continue to, to unfold. Look with me to the second half of eight. Um, as we read before, they, the Jews, <coughs> do not keep the king's laws so that it is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. If it please the king, let it be decreed that they will be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who are in charge of the king's business, and they will put it in the king's treasury. So the king took his signet ring from his hand, gave it to Haman, the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, the money is given to you, the people also to do with them as it seems good to you. Then the king's scribes were summoned into the, the 13th day of the second month, and the edict, according to all that Haman commanded, was written to the king's satraps and to the governors over all the provinces to the officials of all the peoples, to every province in its, in its own script and every person in its own language. It was written in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed with the king's signet ring. Letters were sent by couriers to all of the king's provinces with instructions to destroy, to kill, to annihilate all Jews, young and old, women and children, in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. A copy of the document was also issued as a decree in every province by proclamation to all the people to be ready for that day. The couriers went hurriedly out to, um, by the order of the king, and the decree was issued in Susa, the citadel. 
And the king and Haman sat down to drink. But the city of Susa was thrown into confusion. Wow. A, what can we learn from these men? First of all, what do I learn from Ahasuerus? Number one, be careful of pride. Be careful of pride. The reason Haman was able to succeed with the king was his ego. He was able to say, you know, Jews don't keep your law, King Ahasuerus. You know, they, they, they kind of shun your law. I mean, look at that Mordecai character. I mean, he won't, he won't even bow to the people that you told to bow to. Wow, they don't keep your law. What arrogance uh, that he would kill a whole race because of that pride. Wow. And to be so self-centered and uncaring to just sit down and drink afterwards. Wow. Number two, secondly, be careful from whom I take counsel. Be careful from whom I take counsel. He never seemed to think through what Haman was suggesting. He didn't say, you know what? Um, is there anybody else that who's, has witnessed that? Uh, I mean, you know, where'd you get that about Jews and, and all that kind of thing? Is there anybody else that might have that same opinion? Can I talk to anybody else? He doesn't inquire. Um, he just flippantly sends thousands to their death without a thought. What a need we have today in our culture as far as who we are getting advice from. Who is it that you're listening to? Is it social media? Is it newscasters? Is it, uh, um, yeah, we're all, we're chuckling on that one, aren't we? Um, but who is it, really? Who are you really listening to? Is it godly counsel? Is it somebody that will turn with you in your, in your Bible and say, you know, well, let's, let's look at what God says about forgiveness. Or, you know, yeah, I mean, I, that was a hurtful thing, but who are you getting counsel from? How about advice on marriage? How about advice on child rearing? Where, who are we listening to? Are we listening to the culture? Are we listening to, well, we won't go on and on with that, but what advice are we listening to in our lives? B, so that's King Ahasuerus. B, what can I learn from Mordecai? Number one, people are watching my life. We've talked about this so many times before. People are watching our life. Bob found on Facebook the other, uh, I think it was yesterday, maybe you all saw it, this saying, it says this, your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. <laughs> Is that good? I'm going to read it again. That's kind of mind-boggling. Your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. And isn't that true? That is so unbelievably true. Look at verses two through four. People were trying um, to wear him down and we're beginning to see the stuff that Mordecai is made of. As people were watching him, he was not going to be moved <laughs> from what he believed that he had committed his life to, which was worshiping only Jehovah God. No one was able to wear him down. How I want that kind of courage and tenacity 
regarding the things of God, don't you? I want that kind of tenacity. I want to be, be sure that I am aware that people are watching me and as I am going to be have that kind of courage and tenacity before God alone, I also want it to be in front of other people that are watching my life. Number two, committed servants are usable to God. Usable to God. People are not only watching, sometimes they resent that kind of devotion in, um, in, in other people, but God loves to use that. There's a book out a couple years ago, maybe some of you have read it, it's called The Heavenly Man. I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but it was about a Chinese pastor, and he was uh, thrown in prison, and um, every single day he would be taken upstairs to be tortured. Sometimes it was like, you know, flogging. Sometimes it was cutting his, his skin or I don't know. I, I don't even want to think about it. I can't even read the book. But um, it's a, just an amazing, amazing book of this man. And when they take him back to the cell after he'd experienced this torture, guess what he did? Praise the Lord, sang at the top of his lungs, danced around his cell. Why? He said, oh my goodness, Jesus, I'm so honored to be able to suffer for you. Wow. And so the guards would be watching him and going, what in the world? And they just thought he was a crazy man. But here's the interesting thing. A while down the road, the warden got very ill. And what do you think happened? They called him up and said, hey, you know, you're a weirdo down there dancing after we've cut your skin. But guess what? Would you come up and pray over the warden? Guess what happened? He was healed. And so long story short, he ended up, and I believe he's still alive here in the United States, um, in our country. Uh, but people were watching. They thought he was weird. But when the rubber meets the road, they called him. And, he, and God used that experience to free him from the situation that he was in. Committed servants are usable to God. See, what can we learn from Haman? Helen Keller said this, science may have found a cure for most evils, but it has found no remedy for the worst of them all. The apathy of human beings. Apathy of human beings. Number one, rage out of control becomes poison. We have already talked about how rage unchecked um, could happen. And not only does it poison ourselves, it can become the puppet of the enemy. The evil one has forever, since the beginning of time, designed the demise of God's people. He wanted it then. He wanted it in the turn of the century. He wants it today the demise of God's people, the demise of the unity and the effectiveness of our lives as a body of Christ. That's what he wants. That's, the Lord wants our unity and the effectiveness when we band together as followers of Jesus Christ. But what the enemy wants to do is cause division. He wants us to, to, um, uh, uh, to create a problem amongst us so that the word of God will not be furthered. Wow. So in light of that, number two, we need to guard our hearts. Proverbs 4, 23, above all else, you know this verse, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. If that source 
my heart is poisoned, like Haman's was, uh, then the streams that flow from it will be poisoned. So I'm to guard my heart because everything in my life is going to flow out of that heart. So I need to be very careful to guard my heart so that everything else will not flow from a deceitful, angry, whatever the issue is of your heart. Guard your heart. We need to diligently protect our hearts as we have talked earlier so the poison doesn't begin to affect other areas in our life. In summary, one of the amazing truths of God is that he knows all of this. He knows our areas that we struggle. He knows what we are capable of. I love this verse, Psalm 103. says, for he knows how we are formed and he remembers that we are dust. Don't you love that? Uh, I mean, when something good happens in my life, um, it's like, wow, that's, that's great, Rosemary, because I know you're dust. And for something good to come out of it, that's pretty, that's wonderful. I'm just joking, but because God also sees the good in, the, in all things. But he remembers that we're dust. He knows that we struggle. He knows that we struggle with unforgiveness. He knows we struggle with, with rage. He knows we struggle with um, wanting to have people walk, notice our walk more than our talk. And, and on and on it goes. He knows that we struggle with that, and I love that. And because he knows of that struggle, what did he do? He sent his son. He he. he, he provided a plan. He sent his son to receive the punishment that I deserve for my mistakes, my bitterness, my holding on to grudges, my holding on to a lack of forgiveness. Um, I can take those and lay them at the foot of the cross because Jesus came to die so that I could be forgiven for the dustiness of my life. Wow. I can be forgiven, and, and, and I can receive help to forgive those uh, who have hurt others. What an ultimate forgiver. Wow. That God has forgiven us for him having to provide Jesus to be killed for our sin that we deserve. Wow. Wow that he loved us that much and wants to forgive us that much. And so what we need to do today is make sure we look deeply into our hearts and say, have I really given my heart to Jesus and ask for him to forgive me of my sins because he died for mine. And so I need to ask him to forgive me and then I need to forgive the people around me that have hurt me. But it begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. For previous lessons or other resources, please visit sharedinhouse.org or call us at 954-583-1552. We hope you can join us again next week.